This is how I used to speak. I'm trying it again. So, um, I've had like just a crazy past couple of weeks, and um, it's, I'm really excited about teaching because I, I have no idea what's going to happen, really. I, I might fall asleep in the middle of the teaching. If I do, wake me up. It'll be the first time the teacher actually fell asleep during the teaching versus the listeners. Um, we just had six baby Yorkie puppies in our house, and so they have been keeping me wide awake. And, and we have one really tiny little runt who... Um, just she's just like not getting bigger and so that i'm like i never realized i'm such a sensitive person when it comes to puppies care less about people but puppies that my there's like a special part in my heart um and a lot of you guys know that that uh my oldest daughter karis is in a a place right now where she is dealing with an eating disorder and uh so we've been going up there a whole lot she posted on facebook so it's it's out there for everybody to know and um, a lot of you've been talking asking me how it's going and and actually we the, the prayers that you have been praying We've been feeling it, and she's been feeling it. She has been really, like, taking hold of, like, the program and, and really putting her heart into it. And we've seen a lot of change already. Um, and so keep on praying for her. And, and we know that God's got the best for her. And she's really a, she's a fighter. And so we're excited to see where God's going to take her. And um, also, Judah has been in The Little Mermaid the past three weekends at Milburn Stone Theater. And so we've just been going crazy. Just to say, I'm tired. I led worship twice this morning and tonight, too. I tried to get someone else to lead worship. I didn't know Josh was going to be here. I would have forced him to lead worship, but, but Jacob was going to, but he had to go and have his anniversary today. So rude. Anyway. Okay, so we're finishing 1 John. Finally. I feel like it's been like, like 12 weeks of 1 John, Walk in the Light, and, and I finally have the, the last passage. And, um, and so we're just going to dive right into it. Um, I, I actually, it's kind of exciting because I feel like the, the things that God's been working in my heart and, and speaking to me actually are kind of slightly addressed in these scriptures. So I, I get to kind of talk about what God's speaking to me about now. He's working on me. Um, so if you want to put it up there, First um, John 5.1, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commands. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, Christians done a great job talking about this love that transforms us is our identity. It's not, you know, our gifts or how people perceive us. It's really about the love of the Father, and we've been talking a lot about that. Um, and so really, what I want to highlight is I, I think this thing, loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And I was just, actually, that kind of struck me as, like, a little bit strange because I, I've grown up um, really wanting God about this list of do's and don'ts, but that we must obey to prove our love. That's what I felt like. It's, it's, if you do enough of the good things to offset some of the bad things, then you're proving to God, hey, God, I love you. Don't you see this? Look, I'm trying to please you. I'm doing all I can to get your attention. And, and, and God doesn't want us to live in that kind of mindset. Actually, that mindset is really a religious mindset. And, and that's been something that God has been kind of speaking to me about and talking to me. And when we truly follow God, when we truly get it, when we truly understand his love, it actually frees us from this religious mindset. And see, the problem is, is that the people outside the church, what they see are the list of do's and don'ts. They see the things that we're trying to do to prove how good we are, to prove how much we love God, to prove how elite we are in knowing truth. And, and they see that, and it's really off-putting. Because they see religion and they don't see real love and following God. And so 
when we start engaging God with this sort of mindset, we can easily get caught up. And it's exactly this love that John's talking about that actually sets us free from religion. That we actually have to receive this love and understand what his commandments are. And it's not a list of trying to be this righteous or be this right about life or be a know-it-all and how to live life, not just for yourself, but for other people. But it's really understanding and letting God's love capture your heart. And so I've got a question for you. How do you feel like the world outside the church generally you know, experiences people who love and follow Jesus? Kind of what, what do they feel? What do they think? You can, you can shout it out. Raise your hand. Shout it out. Judged. Wow. Together. One, two, three. Judged. Good job. What else? How else do they feel? Not good enough. Okay. I'm not, I'm not putting words in your mouth. You just say what you Feel loved. That's really good. Um, anything else? Okay. Well, I hope that most people feel loved, but survey says it's slightly, slightly different. Um, there's a huge um, kind of like survey that, that these guys, Kinnaman and Lyons did, and they spent three years talking to really the, the young unchurched Americans in, in, our, in our generation, okay, to find out what they thought about Christianity. And millions of young people responded. They discovered, see us as judgmental, hypocritical, anti-homosexual, too political, insensitive, and boring. That's the worst. Right. Boring. I, you can call me anything you want, just not boring. That's right. I want to be a really, really fascinating, judgmental person. And I think what, what you kind of say is, well, they don't know us. They need to get to know us. You know, people, they're just judging, they're judging us from a distance. Hey, you think I'm judgmental. Well, you're judgmental for judging, you know. And a shocking 50% of these people who responded said they based their negative views on personal contact with Christians, with people they know, people they've come and spoken to. So it's not just the, this general belief that kind of filters down through society, but it's actually, they base it on negative interactions they've had. And the first thing that I feel when I hear this is that those people aren't us. Like, like, I know so many fantastic, loving people, and I just wonder why they're not talking to us. Who are they talking to? You know, and, and I know, like, it's, it's easier to, like, I've been feeling convicted recently. Like, I too easily take the back seat. I don't really even talk about my faith. But I'm a pretty great guy. And, and if people know that, hey, I love Jesus too, actually, maybe that's going to do something to them. Maybe that's going to actually show them, oh, wait a minute. All Christians aren't like this person. All these, Jonathan's never even talked to me about a political view that he had. I thought all Christians had one singular political view. I thought they all shoved it down my throat. If I started actually choosing not to be, you know, afraid, but actually sharing who I am in a genuine way, it actually might press back some of the negative press that we're getting. And so those outside the church should not, it's sad that those outside the church say the biggest thing about the church is that we're political. Like if you talk to most, and it's so funny because we're really sheltered. I was raised really sheltered and I was in a Christian school and I was in this church and my kids are not, they're in a public school. And it's so funny because I, Stayla and I have lots of conversations about the interactions they have, she has with her friends because none of her friends go to church. Okay, none of her friends were raised in church. And they're always like, you are so religious. Are you, you're so, is your dad 
like, does he want to be called priest when, you know, and then like all this stuff. And, and, and Selah's like, I'm just trying to tell them, listen, I love Jesus, but I'm not religious. You know, I mean, the, the general mindset outside the church, it's radically different than the way we view ourselves. And so who is responsible for the press? Who is responsible for getting the word out? They're not going to just all of a sudden start reading the Bible and be like, oh, Jesus is actually a pretty great guy. They're going to see Jesus through you and me. And see, if, if religion is the biggest thing about us, is this judgmentalism, this, this hypocrisy, this anti, right? And I'm not saying that we should be like, there are no morals. We don't care what anybody does. There are no beliefs. Who cares? But the biggest thing about us, we should not be known for how we feel about your behavior. That should not be the, the biggest thing. We should be known for being the most loving, kind people that they've ever met. Because we have met the most loving, kind person that we're ever going to meet. And when we allow that love to actually change us from the inside, when we don't let the commands be burdensome, when we don't fall into this religious mindset, see, the thing is, why we're boring is because we're just trying to fill all these commands and try to do this work, and it's hard, and it's labor, and it's, it's not fun. Because we're not experiencing all that God has for us. It's crazy when you actually look at the Bible and look at Jesus' life. The people that he was so upset with were, was the, the church of that day. Was the religious people of that day. Again and again. You can't read through the story of Jesus and say anything else. Right? He was constantly confronting those, the group of people who felt like they had it all together. Who felt like they knew all the truth. The group of people who were putting laws and burdens on other people, the group of people who felt like they had all the right things to do, but had very little influence on society around them. He was constantly saying, listen, you guys are holding back the world from experiencing me. How dare you keep people away from me, right? Children coming up to Jesus, get out of here, Jesus. No, I mean, get out of here, children. And it, Jesus like, how dare you keep these children from me? Prostitutes coming into a, a meeting that Jesus is having. They're pushing her back, saying, no, Jesus isn't going to bother with you. Jesus is saying, what right do you have to push these people away from me? And I think that we have to really ask ourselves, are we exhibiting love And the heart of Jesus, as we go about our days, are we allowing religion to be the biggest thing about us? And and that's just so challenging. And I'm going to share a a story. The other day, a couple weeks ago, I went to um, Fairhill with my kids and a friend, Noel. And we were around this, this area where we love to catch frogs and we bring bread and we catch little sunnies and we put them in a bucket. And then by, when we leave, we put them all back in. It's really fun. We love it. So we were there. We were catching frogs. We were catching fish, right? Not a terrible thing. And all of a sudden, this group of, I was around and I was a little further away and poor Noel was just by herself over on this little area and she was catching fish. And this kid walks up. He's like 19 years old and he starts talking to her and says, what are you doing? And, and she's like, uh, you know, because he was like really aggressive. And Noel is very tenderhearted, you know, and she's like, ah. Uh. And I heard, and, I, and, and he was like, excuse me, excuse me, to me. And he was like 19. I was like, yes. He's like, are you responsible for these children? I was like, sure, yes, I am. <laughs> and he said, what are you doing here? And I was like, we're catching frogs and, and minnows. And he was like, 
Do you realize that this is government property and you cannot be doing this on, on, on this property? And, and I was like, no, I didn't realize that. <laughs> and I said, I, I was yelling across to him. I was like, there are no signs that say that. And he's like, you know you can't take any animal, animals off this premise. And I said, yes, we never take animals. We put them back in. We treat them very lovingly while we're there in our captivity. Right? And so he's like, well, you must stop. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so he starts walking away. And then all of a sudden, something, I, I'm not like this. I'm, I don't ever confront. But I felt like this, this like anger rising up. Like, how dare you be mean to Noel? How dare you? I've been, doing, I've been catching frogs for 15 years. And you're not going to steal away my number one joy. Okay? <laughs> And so I start walking back around to him. And he's with this old lady and maybe his sister or something like that. And I walk up and, and he's walking away. And I say, excuse me. And he turned around and said, yes. I said, when you were a younger kid, did you ever catch frogs? Oh, of course I did. Well, but, but only in my backyard. I was like, okay, well, these kids are here just, you know, literally just having a good time exploring nature and, you know, we're not harming anything. And he's like, well, this is government, this is, you know, government land that you cannot be doing this. And he's like, and I was like, well, I, there's no science. I have never, rangers have seen me do this for years, right? And I've never been stopped. So it, you're making these kids feel like they're doing something really terrible when really it's, it's not that big of a deal. And, and then that's when the old lady jumped in and she had so much anger, like so much anger. And she was like, how dare you say you can't do this? She's like, I'm going to call a ranger right now, right now. And I was like, I was like, calm down, lady. I didn't say that. I just thought it. It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. And I felt so assaulted for something that, to me, has been an enjoyable thing that we've done for years and years and years. And here you are. And then he said, he said, well, if you went to the Watching Memorial and you, you know, you're like, you wouldn't pee in it, would you? And I was like, no. He's like, there's probably not signs that say you shouldn't pee, right? Like, you got me, buddy. You got me. You know what I thought? In my mind, I thought, he's probably a Christian. That's what I thought. He's so judgmental right now. He's probably a Christian. And then the, the girl was like, and these frogs are mating right now and you're destroying their families. I was like, I do not catch mating frogs. Never, never. We steer clear of the lovemaking area of the frog kingdom. Okay, we don't do that. We're so upset. And it was so, and, and honestly, I felt judged. I felt assaulted. I felt like he was mad at me for something that I was never aware of. And I was like, if there's a sign, if this is a, a rule, we're happy to. He didn't even come and say, hey, you might not know, but this is actually, not, you're not supposed to do this and you're really disrupting the habitat or whatever. He was so aggressive right away. There was no love in his heart for me or for the kids that I was with. It was unbelievable. And, and what I felt is that that's how it is when, when people experience religion, right? They feel assaulted. They feel judged. They feel misunderstood, you know? And, and, and they feel like Christians are bossy and prideful and over the top. You know, and like we make a mountain out of a molehole. We take an issue and we make it the biggest thing about life. When really, guys, there are some really important things. And then there's some things that we can say, you know what? I'm not going to fight this right now. Because there's a lot of other things that we can do here to bring you to a place where we can talk about this issue or whatever. And so, like, I, I just, 
And so we have to, as the church, be brave enough to acknowledge that that we have been identified this way again and again and again. It doesn't help just to be like, man, no, it doesn't count. We don't agree with that. We have to. Have you ever been in, in, for those who are married, have you ever been in an argument where your wife has said you've acted a certain way over and over and over again where you totally disagree, right? And you're like, "I I don't see that. I don't see that. I don't see that until you actually have to be like, okay, it's been mentioned so many times that maybe she's slightly right in this area. Maybe there's something I have to look at. And maybe as, a ch- as the church, we need to look at this religious thing. Maybe we're making the whole following the rules and obeying the commandments the biggest thing, right? J- Jesus actually confronted the, the Pharisees and he said, hey, listen, you guys are searching the scriptures for salvation. You know, it's not in the salvation. The scriptures aren't, aren't going to save you. It's me who's going to save you. You are so focused on this thing that you're missing the whole picture that I'm here with love. For all people. And so, I think because we allow his commandments to become burdensome in our lives, we put it on other people. And, and it, it becomes this whole gross religious thing that Jesus found. And the good news is, Jesus came to save his people you know, from that religious mess. And then he gave us a whole new law, a whole new way to live. He said, this is the way you should live. Yet what we took, we took the awesome way that he told us to live. And we once again went around and said, okay, but we can build some structures around here. We can put some rules here. We can put some foundations here. And then we can feel comfortable in our religion versus a little uncomfortable following Jesus. Because he's going to make us love, love people and talk to, interact with people that are, are going to make us feel uncomfortable. And so God has been really dealing with this, with, with me, you know? When we step into Jesus' love, we step away from religion. And I feel like for me, God's been doing this more and more because the people I love have been encountering people outside the church so often. You know, Rebecca is in the, the theater world where she loves all kinds of people. And, and we have conversations about how incredible people are who don't know Jesus, who don't you know, follow or believe the things that we do. And, 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 and so, like, it's just changing, like, my heart. Like, you know what? Every person's precious. And, 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 and my first thing, what I want people to take away when they encounter me as a representative of Jesus is I want them to feel loved. I want them to feel like, man. And I've had people say to me before, boy, you don't really seem like a pastor. And I'm like, that's, that's great. I don't feel like a pastor. What is that? What does that even mean? Okay? And so... That's the first point. Jesus helps us overcome this religion. He helps us get past it. Um, the second thing, okay, so John 1, 5, 4. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. Who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Um, and I really, I think the, the next thing is, is that, like, we're meant to be people who overcome evil on a regular basis. And I've just been challenged in my heart, like, there is so much evil. I think instead, it's easy just to feel paralyzed and be like, oh, there's so much evil in this world. I don't know what to do. And I won't do anything. Um, and I don't think that's God's, God's purpose for his children, are to be people who overcome the evil in this world. And what we do, intend to do, is we just think, well, we just need to stay safe in here. And there's a lot of bad stuff out there. And maybe every once in a while we can just go out and yell, oh, Jesus loves you, and run back in. You know, we're not going to deal with the. We, we can't get that involved. And I know that God is, 
in this place right now where he is pushing us further outside our comfort zones. He wants us to confront evil. He wants us to be people, not confront evil people on a regular basis, right? I mean, it's easy for us to be like, the people outside the church are evil. And that's not what he's saying here. There are evil practices. There are evil mindsets. There's an evil spirit working in this world, in the church and outside the, this church. Not just this church, but everywhere, right? The enemy is doing this. And we have to be people who rise up in what God's given to us and combat it. We can't just sit back and let the evil happen. We're meant to be the ones that change this world. I like this, what it says in the message, every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The conquering power that brings the world to, our, to its knees. That means those, uh, the things that are, are, are broken and sinful and wrong in this world, how we overcome that is through our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. And so how is the world brought to its knees? How do we defeat this evil? I really like Jesus' mission statement, right? He said, I have come to bring life so that everyone can experience abundant life. That is his passion. That is what he's thinking all the time. How can I bring life into this situation? How can I bring life into this brokenness? How can I bring life into this hurt right here? How can I bring life into this misunderstanding or misconception or, or this pain? What can I do? And I think it's really cool that Jesus stepped in and he declared himself at the synagogue the first time where he kind of revealed his ministry. And he quoted Psalm 61, um, not Psalm, Isaiah 61, right? He says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to the comfort of the brokenhearted and proclaim captives will be released and prisoners will be free. He has sent me to tell those who mourn the time of the Lord's favor has come. And I think sometimes we stop at just the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, right? I think sometimes we just feel like we just got to get the gospel out there. We just got to proclaim the gospel. We got to get people saved. We got to get people saved, you know? And I think that's kind of the mindset of the church over the past many years. But that's only the beginning or part of what Jesus wants to do on this earth. And I think that is part of what he wants to do so that the evil in this world can be overcome, right? If you look at it, First, we do need to share the good news of salvation. We do need to be open to telling people about God. Okay, that's the first thing. But that's not where it stops. Second, right, Jesus says, I have come so that there can be recovery of sight for the blind and and bind up the brokenhearted. The good news must include compassion for those who are hurting and broken. I went to a conference with Jacob a few months ago, and Richard Stearns was there, and he's the president of World Vision. And he was talking about the, the crisis in Syria and the refugees. And he was saying, basically, this is basically the world, in all of history, this is the greatest refugee crisis there's ever been. And no one cares. And it was just like, it spoke to me. And then they had this thing set up where you actually walk through like a, a, a refugee camp. And you, like, it's not a real one, obviously, but it's like a, what they would be experiencing. And it's just like my heart... I just feel like, how are we binding up the brokenhearted? What are we doing? You know, a concern not just for people's spiritual condition, but physical well-being. We see the same concern, right, time after time in Jesus' life. He was really open to reaching out to the poor. He was really desiring to bring life to people who, who had given up. 
And I just wonder, uh, is that what keeps us going? Is that what keeps us up at night? What are we thinking? How are we, how are we doing in our own lives, in our family's lives? Are we being the people who are compassionate? The third one is we see a commitment to justice, right? Jesus has come to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is saying that he has come for anyone that's been a victim of injustice, whether political, social, or economical, right? The year of the Lord's favor was a reference to the year of Jubilee, where basically all slaves were set free, debts were forgiven, and all land was returned to original owners. And this, was way, this is God's plan for keeping the rich from getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Right? He doesn't like seeing this huge gap between the rich and the poor. It doesn't make him happy when he sees a rich American church and he sees a poverty-stricken, broken you know, church in the Middle East. Like he, his desire, and we are meant to be part of this, is to bring life to those places, right? to bring justice to those who are suffering injustice. If we want to overcome the evil world, we need to include every aspect of Jesus' mission on earth. Right? Life in abundance is much more than getting people saved. It encompasses tangible compassion for the sick and the poor, as well as biblical justice for those who are in, who are been wronged, who are in brokenness and pain. And, um, I was just thinking, I, I was recently reading a book and I was talking about Christians during the, the plague back in the day, a long time ago. And during the plague in Alexandria, when nearly everyone else fled, right? There's this, terrible plague where everybody was dying. It was highly contagious. When everyone else fled, the early Christians risked their lives for one another by simple deeds of washing the sick, offering water and food, and consoling the dying. They just sat there with those who were dying. Their care was so extensive that Julian eventually tried to copy the church's welfare system. It failed, however, because for the Christians, it was love. But for the government, it was forced, right? It was duty that, that motivated them. Pagans could not help but notice that Christians not only found the strength to risk death, death, but through their care for one another, they were much less likely to die. Christian survivors of the plague became immune. Right? This is kind of awesome. Christians almost became like superheroes because they kind of suffered through it. They were willing to identify. They were willing to put themselves at risk. But those who survived then couldn't get it. And so they were, they were like walking through the sick and not being able to be touched by the disease, healing, loving people, feeding them suffering with them. In fact, those most active in nursing the sick were the very ones who had already contracted disease very early on, but were also cared for by their brothers and sisters. In this way, the early Christians became, in the words of one scholar, a whole force of miracle workers to heal the dying. And so, I just wonder how often, I mean, that's incredibly challenging, obviously, to be willing to, to sit with those who are contagious and dying. Right? And, and there's not really anything parallel right now in our lives. But we can choose to walk through with people who are hard to be with, right? who don't believe what we believe, who might choose to practice a lifestyle that's different than what we would choose. But we can choose to say, you know what? I'm going to put aside things that are hard for me in order to love you, to be with you, to build you up. Um, Richard Stearns talks about an example that he saw in India where there was this huge earthquake about 20 years ago and t- tens of thousands of people died and, and whole you know, cities were leveled and they went with World Vision and they partnered with Habitat for Humanity to rebuild these, um, these ru- ruined villages. And they were there and they were doing some kind of dedication to it and, and out comes the elders of the village dressed in their you know, 
full full arm Indian garb, big long beards, turbans, and and they were there. And um, little did they know, Richard Stearns had somebody who spoke their language with him. You know, and so they were dedicating it. And and this guy heard that they were start these Indian elders started talking, and they said, um, "Why would these Westerners come all this way to help rebuild this?" Why would they even care? What motivated them to do this? Right? Those guys were experiencing the power of the gospel without a word spoken to them. And I think that it's just, it's really powerful. Like, love is so much more than just saying God loves you. We have to be challenged. If we're really going to overcome the evil in this world, if we're really going to be people who stand up for injustice, who, who want to see those who are bound up set free, those who are, are lame walk again, if we really want to be those people, then we're going to have to really get serious about it. We're going to have to be people who choose to, to give ourselves of that. We talked about surrendering all during worship. And I think part of surrendering all isn't just a good worship time. It's saying, God, I'm going to surrender to you so that I can be used by you to minister to, to anybody that you bring into my, my life. And so the last thing, and this is really hard because 6 to 12 is just, I'm, I'm just going to read it to you. And I don't have much to say about it. So let it just minister to you as I read it. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water only, but water and blood. And the spirit who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his son. All who believe in the son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. And this is what God has testified. He has given, his eternal, given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has a Son of life, whoever does not have God's Son, wait, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Basically, I think what he's saying is, hey, listen, there are so many things that have come together to show you that this is true that this is the way we ought to live our lives. There are so many ways. And God wants to produce a confidence that if we choose to live a radical lifestyle of love, of service, of pursuing God, of getting rid of religion, of choosing to, to pursue the least of these, if we choose to live that way, right, then it's good. God has life for us. We have eternal life. No matter what people say about us, no matter what happens, we know the truth that Jesus and what he has done is real, and it's worth it. It's worth everything. If Jesus, is this really true? If there are all these testimonies about what really happened, then right, it's worth giving your life of surrendering today and tomorrow, of waking up tomorrow and saying, God, how can I show people your love today and push back religion? How can I overcome the evil in this world today? What can I do today? Because I know you're real, and I know there's eternal life for me, and I know this life is the life that you have for me. I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to live that way. Who can I show love to? Who can I have a conversation with? I got a, a haircut the other day, and this lady was rough around the edges. And she just started talking to me, and she was talking about how her husband died because of um, mixing bad medicines. The doctors gave him, gave him wrong medicines. He died. And so she had to move with her family into Wilmington, into a really tough part. And she was talking about how on Easter, her kid was shot at in the park outside. And my heart was breaking for her. 
But I was too afraid to be like, hey, can I pray for you? Also, she was cutting my hair. I didn't want to offend her. Let's just say, this is important. So, but I'm feeling in my heart, like, I need to, with all I can do, like, I want to show people who Jesus is. And I don't want the world outside the church to think the church is just a group of religious nuts, religious people who care more about getting Donald Trump elected than, than serving the poor, right? Like there's so much more to what we have to offer. And the only way they're going to see it is if they see you, if they talk to you, if you pray for them, if you care for them, right? And I think Judy's answer is great. There are people outside the church who have actually encountered true love, the love of Jesus, and they said, you know what? This is incredible. But it's too few, in my opinion. Like, we need to all rise up to do that. So, that is the end of 1 John. Let's stand up. Let's pray. You know, we named this series Walk in the Light. And God, we just really desire... Lord, we don't want to walk in the fog. We don't want to walk with our light barely showing, Lord. We want the light that you have put inside of us to shine bright. God, we do not want to fall into the category of the religious people that you confronted on a regular basis. God, if there is religion in us, God, if there is law-abiding, judgmentalism, desiring to be greater than others, God, if there's any of that stuff in us, God, just kill it right now. God, take it away. God, we want to be people who love without measure, who care for those who have not been cared for. We want to be people who reflect this radical, incredible love, Jesus. And Lord, we are sorry that the church has fallen far, far below that level. Jesus, bring us back to what it's all about. And God, I pray, Jesus, that in this community, Lord, we be people committed to overcoming evil in this world, that we be choosing to overcome injustice, that we be choosing to commit our lives to compassion, to commit our lives to serving those who need your love, who need your help, God. We don't want to stand by and watch the world's greatest refugee crisis occur and not do anything about it. So God, I pray, Jesus, that you would work in our hearts, that you would change us from the inside, God. I pray that we could walk in the light, Lord, as you are in the light, Lord. And Jesus, we know it's, it's got to be not out of the sense of, of, of duty, and of, of fulfilling these commandments so that we show you and prove to you that we love you, God. It's got to be out of us receiving your incredible love for us, God. So we open our hearts up to receive your incredible love. Lord, we're done with the games of trying to prove how much we love you by being this good or doing this awesome thing. Lord, we just want to love like you loved and to live like you did. So Jesus, work in our hearts, God. God, thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to be aggressive, that we don't have to be bossy, that we don't have to be prideful, that we don't have to, you know, shout the loudest so that the world will know about you. 
but Lord, that we can love and we can serve and we can build up those who have been broken down. So Jesus, I pray that the spirit of the sovereign Lord will be upon us, each one of us, because you've anointed us to preach good news, God. Lord, I pray that you would send us out to comfort the brokenhearted, that we could proclaim that captives will be released, God, that prisoners will be free, Lord. Lord, I pray, Jesus, that you would send us out to those who are mourning the time the Lord's favor has come. Thank you, Jesus. We bless your name. Amen.